this, mo- this evening, I'm going to say this morning again. You have to forgive me. My head is somewhere else. Forgive me. This evening is a, a, a topic for all of us. It's simply entitled, Born Again. And you might say, but I am born again. I'm saved. I've been to the cross. I've been washed in the blood. I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. I am born again. Well, you know, we're going to look a little more into it. And if you're born again, I hope and pray tonight that you will leave here encouraged, that you'll leave here tonight built up upon your most holy faith. And I pray tonight that you'll leave here that you will be rejoicing in your salvation once more, that you'll know the joy of your salvation afresh and anew. And if you're not saved and you're here tonight, that you will hear of the necessity of being born again. And what does it mean? What does the Bible say about being born again? We've got to turn to John's Gospel, please. Chapter 3. Very well-known portion of Scripture. But we want to use this as our basis. Then we will look at other things this evening. I want to thank my elders, the oversight for being so supportive and helpful and encouraging and standing in and keeping things going as well while I was as I said hello last Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning and Sunday night I was here, I wasn't preaching but the week before uh, again taking Pastor Rusty to make sure he was introduced to other pastors it's been vital that we try and spread the word in the network of this to try and reach as many people and to stir as many hearts as possible, hence why I felt I needed to take them. And they've been just, it's just been phenomenal, the doors that have been opened. And believe it or not, Pastor Rusty got the opening prayer at the anti-protocol rally, rally on Friday night. I says, I, may, I got away where he could go. He was invited up. And I said, my pastor, when you get up, make sure you say Northern Ireland. <laughs> because if you say Ireland, you can get yourself into trouble. I says, but tell them they need to turn to God. Doesn't matter if you claim you're a Protestant, you need to turn to God. If you don't know Christ, you need your loyalism, your unionism, whatever it may be, your Protestant so-calledism. If that's just all you have, you're lost. You need to turn to Christ. You must. You must be born again. Will you look at John chapter 3 with me please? And verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, We know that thou art a teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles that thou doest. Notice, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again. Underline it. Except a man be born again. He cannot see. Can't even perceive. He cannot perceive even the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Notice, he cannot 
perceive it or see the kingdom of God and accept he's born of water and the spirit. We'll explain that in a moment. He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit, capital S for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God. That when a man and a woman must be born of him, born of God, born of the spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Underline it. You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, whether it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Again, capital S, speaking of God the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel? And knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. There's many who won't receive this witness that we preach, brothers and sisters. They will not receive the witness of the gospel and of the changed lives, the sanctified lives of the believer. Verse 12, please. If I have told you earthly things, and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Because they're not born of the Spirit. That's why Jesus is saying, you can't believe these unless you're born of the Spirit. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. Here Jesus is now, he's putting forth to Nicodemus of himself, his deity, his divinity. That he is the son of God. That he is God himself. I'm the son of man before you. But as the eternal spirit. The son. I am in heaven as well. Of one essence with the father. Now take note here. In verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the son of man be lifted up. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have Eternal life, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not a Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, but lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth, he that doeth truth, notice, doeth truth, cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Notice that the word wrought in God means they are wrought by God through him, in him. Take note of this. Verse 22, and after these things Jesus came and his disciples into the land of Judea and there he tarried with them and baptized. And then he goes off and leaves this man Nicodemus with the thoughts that he's just told him. Let us pray. Father, we pray tonight 
that thy blessed spirit would move in our midst. Lord, that you would move from seat to seat and from heart to heart. We pray, our Father in heaven, that you would bless your people, encourage them, edify them, and build them up upon their most holy faith. Let them, Lord, have a fresh glimpse of their salvation wrought by you and through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that thy Spirit would move upon the hearts of every one of us and print your word upon our minds, inscribe your word upon our hearts. We pray, O God, that if there's one or some here that does not yet know the Lord Jesus as their own Lord and personal Savior, that tonight they would realize the necessity and need that they must be born again. So, Lord, we pray that you would quicken them, speak to them, draw them, and save them. Bring them to thy Son, and under the blood of the Lamb, we ask it in and through his most precious name, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Is it scriptural to be born again? Is it in the Bible? To be born again. We've just read it, read it here. The Lord Jesus himself said that a man or a woman must be born again. Does the Bible talk about it anywhere else? And the answer is yes. The Bible speaks of it. Peter speaks of it. And the Bible says that we must be born again by the Spirit. And Peter says we must be born again of incorruptible seed. The Word of God. Is it necessary for salvation? The Bible says yes. The Lord Jesus says yes. And so is it an experience? Is it an experience one must have before they can be saved? The answer is yes, yes, and yes. When we tend to speak of the experience of being born again, the term being born again, people tend to automatically label you. They label us as extremists, far right wing, some of them might say, because we we want to apply the word of God to our hearts and live by the word of God And hence, uh, the world is in opposition to the Word of God. And and so you and I are, well, we're some fanatical group being born again. Sure, why not just go to church like every other, putting in brackets, decent sort of Christian. And behave yourself. And don't take a stand and don't preach the Word and, and continue on in life. And let everyone just get on with their own lives. So these fundamentalists are harsh, they say. They are uncompromising, fanatics without love or grace or mercy. In other words, those born-again people, you know what, they're, they're, they're a bit nuts. They're a bit crazy. I remember when I was pastoring down in Dublin, and once a month we went to the top of if you're, if you're familiar with Dublin, to the top of Grafton Street, where St. Stephen's Green is, and, and the road comes down and turns around this like a one-way system. And there was a pedestrian 
precinct at the top of Grafton Street. And we used to set the speakers out. And there was sang, we played, we give out tracts, and we preached the word of God. And we used to do it for, well, because we drove from Belfast, and I was pastoring there, we couldn't get up and down. The Celtic Tiger was booming, and of course there was just, well, it was just too expensive. We couldn't even get a house to live in. So we drove down just for the open air on the Saturday, but we set up, and we would have stayed for three, four, five hours, depending on how the, the day would go. I remember one day these people gathered around me. I had people spit on me, swing at me. I had them tell me to go back home, that I was a, 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 an Ulster Scot and I shouldn't be living in the Ireland of Ireland. I had people telling me that they were going to slice my throat and throw me in the liffey. They were going to hang me and, you know, and all of this sort of stuff. We just kept preaching. We just kept preaching. But this day they gathered around us the top of Grafton Street. They were pretty hostile. And some of them would have came up and they said, and look, and there were other Dubliners with us, save people who love the Lord. But they were, these other people were hostile. And, and while they were aggressive toward us, they were calling us names, fanatics, lunatics, with expletives hanging off the end of them or beginning. And they would have continued like this to try and drown us out and to try and antagonize us and aggravate us. And it just dawned on me. There was a guy, well, there was somebody, I don't know what it was. They were standing across the way with a piece of card. And upon the card was written, now listen. They were dressed up in an elephant suit with a pink tutu on. With a card and a guitar around the elephant's neck. That's why I didn't know who it was inside it. And I remember jotting down what they had written on that card. So here it is. This is what it said. Parents killed by ninjas. Need money for kung fu lessons. Please help. And give generously. And I thought these people are at me. Preaching the good news. Of the kingdom of God. Preaching salvation found. By grace through faith in Christ. That he has paid their debt. To call those who may be religious out of bondage. And some person dressed as an elephant with a pink tutu on, a guitar hanging around their neck, they're giving them money. Because they need kung fu lessons because the elephant's parents were killed by ninjas. And I'm mad. They called me crazy. Brothers and sisters, friends, do you see how the world is? The mindset... Did you know that the born again experience was mentioned in the Old Testament? If you want to turn or you can listen to Ezekiel chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. Ezekiel 11, verses 19 and 20. Listen to what the Lord said, looking from Ezekiel's day into the future. 
And I will give them one heart. And I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of their flesh. And I will give them a heart of flesh. That they may walk in my statutes and keep mine ordinances and do them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Here the Lord says through the prophet Ezekiel, a time will come when this stony heart will be taken out of these Israelites and a heart of flesh and others, a living heart, a beating heart will be given unto them. And he does it again through the prophet Jeremiah chapter 31 verses 31 to 33 and to 30, verse 34. He says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not the same covenant that I made with their fathers. In other words, here's the covenant of the law, of the blood. He says, but rather, I'm going to write my law in their inward parts and it'll be in their hearts. And they'll be my people. You see, we have the ten moral commandments, if you want, on two tables as Moses would have had them. Six on one, four on the other. The six moral commandments, the first six, are vertical between God and man. And then the last four are between man and man. Between mankind, between neighbor to neighbor. And you see, here they are, they're written on tables of stone. And being written on tables of stone, you see, Israel would see the commandments But when they walk away, what happens? Their mind is gone, isn't it? Their heart's away after something else. But if they see it again, oh, I've sinned before God. I must bring a lamb for an offering. So what happens is God says, you know, I'm going to take those and write them in your heart, which means you can't run away from it. So it's written in our hearts. It's written in our hearts that we know in our hearts it's wrong to kill, to murder, to steal, to bear false witness. That we know in our spirit because the spirit brings alive, as it were, the, the, the fruit of the spirit in us. But the fruit of the spirit kept in its integrity 24-7, if we were able to do that, would be the keeping off the law. But we fail and we live not under the curse of the law, but we live by grace. The Lord said that he would write his law on our hearts. And whenever we get saved, he lives in us. If you remember, you get your, maybe some of you had a board on your fridge or something like that. And your children had a few chores to do. And they would see it maybe and read the chores and they knew what they were to do. But once they walk away from those chores or from that list, sure the chores could be forgotten about. And they'll never get done. And you come home and you say, sure I've written it down. It's on the fridge here. It's on the board that this is what I asked you to do. And it was never done. But if we teach our children what to do and how to do it as they grow. It's in their minds, it's in their hearts, and this is what we do. And God says, as born again, blood-washed, 
born again believers, spirit filled. He says, my spirit in you, you will know what's right and what is wrong and you will be alive unto me and you'll walk with me. Timothy Dudley Smith wrote these words. Born by the Spirit's breath, loosed from the law of sin and death, now cleared in Christ from every claim, no judgment stands against our name. And those of us who have been born again and by faith washed, trusting in the finished and full work of Christ on the cross, those of us who are saved by his grace, we are not under condemnation. Look at our reading in John chapter 3, if you will. We always hear verse 16, for God so loved the world. But verse 17, for God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world. The Lord Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. You know why he didn't come to condemn you? Because you're already condemned before he came. You're already condemned before he came. We have Adam's germs and Adam's genes. God willing, we'll look at it in a moment. It's in our very nature, the depravity of human nature, our full, total inability to save ourselves. It's in our very nature to sin. If I take your car to the top of the hill, take it out of gear, take off the handbrake, what way will it roll? What is the natural digression downwards? Such is the man and woman from Adam. We roll downwards. Notice here, In John 3, please, and verse 17. For God sent not a son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Notice, he that believeth on him is not condemned. Are you saved? Are you saved? Are you Christ's? Are you born again? If you're believing, that means believing from the inner man and the inner woman, believing with all of your heart, if you're believing and you're born again and you're saved, then there's no condemnation on you. But if you're not saved, if you're not believing, If you're not born again, notice what he says. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. We're already condemned until we're saved from the same condemnation. So God knew we were under condemnation, under wrath, with our natures being sinful. Listen, sinning does not make you a sinner. Do you know that? Sinning does not make you a sinner. But rather you sin because you are a sinner. You cannot help yourself. Every one of us were born in sin and shaping in iniquity. 
We were birthed into a sinful life with a sinful nature into a sinful world. Notice verse 18. He, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. When is the condemnation? Notice that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Do you know what this is saying here? This is Jesus himself speaking. That he came to save. He came into a world of sinful, spiritual darkness and wickedness. That when he came, he came the light into the world. The only pure light. You see the light here? We're grateful for it, all these lights here. We're grateful that we can see, I can read. We're grateful for it. But if you were to analyze each and every one of these lights, there's little spots of darkness right through the light itself. It's not pure. There's little spots of darkness in it. But the light that Christ brings is a pure and a perfect light. For in him, God is light, L-I-G-H-T. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That's what it means. He's the purest of pure, most glorious of glory. Christ himself is the light of the world. And Christ himself is the purity and the holiness of the Father. Take note here. Men love darkness rather than light. That's why they want to sin. In Matthew chapter 1 and verse 16, we have the first New Testament mention of the word born, B-O-R-N, born. And it's the word genao. And it usually, it usually gives the idea of the generation from uh, the paternal side or not all the time, but most times off the side of the parent of the man, the son off and the man's name, the son off and the man's name, his genes down. Take note of this. When Nicodemus comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's wanting to know that a man that is born of flesh, how can he enter his mother's womb a second time to be born again? Here's a man of religion who can't see it. He's been born off his earthly father, but he can't understand this born again experience. He doesn't understand what it means when Jesus speaks of it. It says he's a ruler of the Jews, a master in Israel. In fact, the word master here is the word didaskalos, and it means a teacher. He's an instructor. He's a doctor of theology. Doesn't it show you that a man can have a list of, of letters of, of, of teaching behind his name, like the alphabet, but yet still not know Christ? Still be lost and still in his sin? Still in darkness and still under condemnation? Doesn't it show you that it's nothing a man can do? It's not in our prowess. It's not in our abilities. For this born again experience must be of God. Sent from God, wrought in God, the work of God, the sovereignty of, of Almighty God. Doesn't it show us that no matter who we are, that we must 
Be born of the Spirit of God. Take note of this, brothers and sisters. You don't need to turn, but you can mark it down. In Mark chapter 10, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And listen to what he says in verse 17. He says, he kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? What should I do that I may inherit eternal life? And you know what Jesus says? (laughs) Why are you calling me good? If someone came to me and says, uh, Ken or pastor, whatever the title may be, the name may be, what must I do to eternity, eternal life? Well, you must be born again and you must do this. Jesus said, why are you calling me good? There's none good but one and that is God. You see, this man didn't realize he caught a glimpse of deity. He caught a glimpse that there, in this man, this Galilean, this man called Jesus of Nazareth, he's a man, he's flesh and blood just like you and I, but the word good is agathos. Agathos. And he sees this agathos and it means he seems to be good in every sense and he's good in every way and he's good about everything. That's the word agathos means. And he catches this. And he comes to him. Good master. You're good in everything. Good in every sense and in every way. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice, what must I do? Jesus says, why are you calling me good? Why are you calling me? There's none good. Only God. The rich young ruler like Nicodemus in our reading this evening comes to the Lord both saying good things. That means to be good in its character and beneficial in its effects. He's seen the goodness of Christ. They've seen something about this man. They've seen the goodness in every sense and way. They've seen something about him. And what they saw attracted them. They saw the effects of the life of Christ. They saw the dead being raised, the multitudes being fed, the sick being healed, the deaf hearing, the dumb speaking, the devils being cast out. And as they're hearing these things, they're seeing these things, and the effects of the of the person of Christ, God with us. They realize, hold on, religion. Can't save me. I'm missing something. Oh, hold on a wee minute. Uh, uh, riches and money and all, all these other things of worldly pleasures. Can't save me. Because when I look at Christ and when I get a glimpse of him, I see God in flesh. And I realize that I am nothing but a mere mortal, lost and undone, on the broad road to destruction. And that's the place every man and woman must come to, to realize their depravity, their inability to save themselves, that they are a sinner 
in their very nature, in their very genes, and they cannot even help themselves to stop it. Well, I stopped smoking and I stopped drinking. (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. But that's not what I'm speaking of. You can stop everything and still your rotten nature keeps you out of glory. Our rotten selves. See this man, it's Allison's talking about the over 60s having their dinner on Tuesday. Well, look, I'm not even 60 yet, so don't even think about it. But I said that. Yeah, all right, Dad, back her up there, see that? In a few years, he says, he's not far wrong. But this flesh, this carnality, this rotten mind, subject to the things of the world and of the flesh and of the devil, subject to the downward nature like the car on the hill, this rotten man needed saved Rescued from self, rescued from sin, rescued from Satan, and brought us a brand from the burning. And I couldn't do it myself, and you couldn't either. And hence God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came to save you, friend. Brothers and sisters, he came and he bought us with his precious blood. Died in our room and in our stead. Kept the law we couldn't keep. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died in a place where we should have died. He was separated from his father that we might come in. What a Christ. What a Savior. D.L. Moody was in London and a friend took him one Sunday morning to hear Joseph Parker preaching in London in his church. And if you have any of Joseph, anybody's any Joseph Parker writings, you know, he's a good writer. He's, he's got lovely thoughts and uh, you know, some powerful stuff, but he's, he's, he's more of an orator. And coming out, going out of the church that Sunday morning, the, the friend says to, to, to D.L. Moody, well, what do you think? What do you think? And the friend, looking at D.L. Moody for his reply, D.L. Moody turns to him and says, what a preacher. What a preacher. Well, that's a good accolade, and he, he must have enjoyed the meeting. What a preacher. And that night he goes over to the Elephant and Castle in London, and he goes to the Metropolitan Tabernacle to hear Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher. And thereafter, hearing the Baptist preacher leaving again, the friend says to D.L. Moody, well, what do you think? What do you think? Listen to D.L. Moody's reply. He turns to his friend and he says, what a Christ. What a Christ. You see, that's the problem. It's not the preacher. It's the Christ. Christ in you. Brothers and sisters, what a Christ. 
these two, the rich young ruler and Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, these two seen something in the Christ. When they seen something in him, they realized they were lost and undone. They seen something. But the rich young ruler went away because his riches filled his heart more than Christ did. And Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, we hear very little of him, but then he sort of pops up near the end. It's believed he was a secret disciple, many preachers say, and came out for Christ at the end. Wonders are a secret disciple tonight. You know the secret disciple who, who's come to Christ but hasn't professed Christ to people, hasn't confessed his faith, hasn't told people, hasn't took his stand, and yet in the quiet there he meets them like Nicodemus at night, just in case someone sees him. Notice what he says in John 3 and 2. Rabbi, thou art, we know thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. The, he saw the, the good master. He saw the agathos of Christ. He was good in every sense and in everything and in every way. He, he, had, he had that character. It was a character of his father. It was God himself. And, and, and there it showed effect in everyone who came across him, who heard him, who met him, and whom he ministered unto. A glorious Christ, a wonderful Christ. So the picture here is this. Salvation is not in a church. Salvation is not in a denomination, nor an institution, nor it's in a dogma, nor in good works or alms or deeds. Salvation is not found by your sense of good morals. It's not by being a good citizen, or a good parent, or a good son, or a good daughter, or whatever relationship it is. It's not, a, it's not in being a good husband, nor a good wife. Salvation is not found in this church or any other church. Salvation is unattainable. It's not a, salvation is not in a pope. Salvation is not in the queen. She's the head of the Church of England, the pope, the Roman Catholic Church. Salvation isn't in a pastor or a minister. Salvation isn't in a priest or anything else or anyone else, but in Christ himself. Born again, I want to look, I'm aware of time rushing on, but I want to look at something to, to show you the difference in the nature we have when we are born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then in verse 5 he says, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse 7, marvel not, or don't be surprised that I said unto thee, you must be born again. Don't be surprised. Because Jesus says you must be born 
again. Will you turn with me, please, to the book of Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So Ephesians chapter 2, please. I'll get another drink. Notice what Paul writes. And you hath he quickened, speaking of the Holy Spirit, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. Now notice, dead in trespasses and in sins. This isn't talking about the carnal fleshy death here. In other words, we sinned without care. If any of you have been in the world and you're aware of this, and you know, you think of the times where you spent, the things that you've done, the, 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 the places that you've been, the hours you put into it, maybe the clubs, the pubs, or whatever, maybe worse. You did it without thinking if there was a God, if you even believed in God. In fact, God wasn't even in your thinking, and you just didn't care. You didn't feel any consciousness. You had no guilt over it, nor remorse, nor repentance, because you can't, unless the Spirit grants it to you. Here's what I want you to see tonight. Paul tells us, and you hath he quickened who were dead in their trespasses and sins. See the word dead, it's the word nacros, and it means as dead as dead could be. As dead as dead could be. In other words, you would see someone who has just passed away and you can cry over them, you can mourn over them, you can speak to them, you can grab them, try to shake them, to wake them. You can do all manner of things. You can talk to them and you can plead with them to open up their eyes and, and please talk to me. And they won't do it because they're dead. They can't do it. Paul gives us the word nekros, which means just like that, spiritually in our hearts, we were dead toward God. Take notice of this. He gives us where we were, what we were dead in and and where our, our life was. He gives us what God has brought us from. Notice first who were in time past. He walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's he speaking of there? Who? The devil, Satan himself. The God of this world. Now, God is the God of the world. This means the God of the world system. Do all the liberal stuff that's going on, and we've had Pastor Rossi talking about uh, the, the abortion issues and all of the sin and the stuff that's happening. That's the God of this world. And men and women are dead to God. They don't think about God. They don't want to know God because they don't believe in God. And the Bible says, you're dead. That's what it means here. I was the same. I sat in Shabin's for full weekends. Didn't care or know or even think if there was a God. Got myself into trouble many times. Didn't care if there was a God. Didn't think if there was a God. Arrested numerous times. I didn't care. I was dead. 
And Paul says that I was under the power of Satan. Brothers and sisters, are you glad you're saved? Are you glad you're saved? Notice the prince of the power of the air, the spirit. Notice there's no capital because it's not the Holy Spirit. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. See the word disobedience? No another word for it. The impersuadable. Look, I could get someone who isn't saved and I could pin them against the wall if I was able to. And I could hold them against that wall. I could shake them. I could throttle them. Slap them back and forward and coax them, shout into their face, grab them by the ears and yell at them, wake it up. If you die without Christ, wake it up. I could do that. But they're dead. They can't see it. They can't receive it. They can't believe it. Until the Holy Spirit takes his word and speaks it. And he quickens. See the word quickeneth. And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That word quicken is the word zapoio. I'm going off track a little here just for a second. It's the Greek word zapoio. And it simply means, or gives the idea, I should say, to reanimate. To reanimate. So Adam is in the garden, and God's walking with him in the cool of the day, speaking to Adam. We know Adam, Eve, they sin. We know the story. And we're going to speak about him in a second. But listen, and because Adam fell away from God, Because he sinned, that brought forth death. Spiritual death came right away. Physical deaths, they started dying lower in years in their body. Hence, we die and go to the grave. And Paul's speaking of men and women in the spirit here. The word zapoio means to reanimate. To be alive, it means to make alive. Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. God talked with him. Adam talked back again. They had communion. They had fellowship together. And then that was broken. And Adam was dying. And you and I were dying in Adam. You hath he quickened means the Spirit of God came. And he reanimated us. He made us alive again. Look, you know, you see animation, they, you get the stick man, you know, in the book, you draw this poor animation, isn't it? Because you get the stick man in the book and he's like this. And the next page you draw him like this and then like this and then like this and then like this. Next one's like that. And by the time you get through your book and you, you flick them all together and the wee man starts walking like this. That's animation, isn't it? That's animation. It was Adam when God breathed in his nostril the breath of life and man became a living fish, a living soul. 
then that's gone and it's lost and we're dead with Adam's germs and with Adam's genes. But the Holy Ghost comes and he speaks to a man and woman through the living word. And he makes the dead come to life. It's like the animated. We're dead toward God. Suddenly we start to behold the things of God. He attracts us to the word, attracts us to the son, attracts us to the cross, attracts us to the blood. And we call for mercy. He lives in us. And we walk reanimated in the presence of God and fellowship with him. That's what Paul means. And you hath he quickened who were dead their trespasses and their sins, who in time past walked according to the course of this world, according to the power of the prince of the air, the devil had you, but God saved you. I better move quickly. Notice here what he says among whom also we all had our conversation or our lifestyle in times past. Notice the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. Would you say nature? Would you say it loud? Okay, the word nature there is a word phusus. Phusus. Say phusus. Just trying to keep you your concentration. Say phusus. What phusus means? Germination. Lineal descent. It gives the idea of the father's birth down. Father Adam. His germination. We're from Adam's race, the lineal descent. We took his sin. And through him, our father from the earthly Adam, we're sinners before God and dead toward God. We were, past tense, by nature, in our nature, the children of wrath. Wrath. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I love this. But God... Say, but God. Would you say it louder? Come on, if you're in your problems, what do you remember? Ah, you're going to the doctor, what do you remember? You say there's no hope for you, what do you remember? But God. No hope without Christ. Lost and undone and in our sin and total depravity of our nature. And there we were on the broad road to destruction heading for a Lake of fire. But God, who is rich in mercy, guilty, vile, hell-deserving sinners, with Adam's nature, his rottenness, his rebellion, with his death flowing through our mortal members, separated forever, but God, who is rich in mercy? Are you catching it tonight? Have you got it? Without hope? Try and catch it, will you? Try and think about it. Every one of us were without hope. Lost. Hellbound. Guilty. 
deserving of nothing. But God who is rich in mercy, it means rich in the whole sphere of mercy. In other words, mercy is, is what? When you do not get that which you do deserve. When you do not get that which you do deserve. So God who's rich in mercy, he says, you deserve to be lost. You deserve to go to hell. You deserve to be guilty in your sin and found wanting. You deserve my wrath. You deserve punishment. You deserve it. But the world can't understand it nor see it. And that's where they are under condemnation of it. But God who is rich in mercy didn't give me or you what we deserved. In fact, he gave us his son who came to die for us. And on that, man and woman will stand or fall. What have you done with my son? What have you done with the son of my love? Father, I believed them. I believed in him. Going to be some will say, Well, I sort of rejected everything I was told. I sort of rejected everything I heard. I just don't believe. But you believe now. It's too late. I must close, brothers and sisters. <clears throat> Jordan Peterson wrote that old hymn. Born of the Spirit, with life from above, into God's family divine, justified fully through Calvary's love. Oh, what a standing is mine! And it's because of that wonderful day when, as a sinner, I came. Took off the offer of grace he did proffer. He saved me, oh praise his dear name. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. When at the cross, bless him, my sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Yeah, born again. John 3 and 5. Jesus said to Nicodemus that night, I said I would explain it briefly. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You know what it really means? Except a man or a woman are born from above. Heaven came down. Glory fill my soul. Last verse for you. First Peter chapter 1. Please, if you will turn. This is our last verse or so here and we'll finish here thank you for your attention tonight
Let your eye run down, please, just for time's sake. First Peter chapter one and verse. Things maybe second Peter wrote the wrong verse down. Let me tell you what it says. We are divine we are partakers of the divine nature. Someone find it for me and you can let me know. Peter says we are partakers, that is the born again believers, those who are born from above. We are partakers of the divine nature. The word nature is the same word Paul uses. Fusus. So get this as we close. First of all, we're born of our parents and their parents before them and their parents before them and so on and so on. Back to Adam. We are... We have Adam's genes from Adam's race. We have Adam's germs, Adam's lineal descent as we go down through the years. We carry it within us. But it takes us to be to have the, the divine nature. And the divine nature means the divine fusus. We must be birthed of the Father. That's born again. We must be birthed. Of the Father. That is the Heavenly Father. Has anyone found the verse for me? Second Peter 1 and 4. I have one Peter down. I must have done it in quickness, too quickly. Let's read it. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. Notice, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Have you been born from above? Have you got the fathers? Are you birthed of the father? The born again experience? Born from above? Saved? Born again? Made alive unto God? You know that... Uh, that part that comes when God speaks to your heart and you realize, I've got an interest here. I, and, and something's tugging at me that, that, that there's an interest in these things of God. I wonder why it is and what it is. And you see, that's, that's because the Holy Spirit is wrestling with your flesh. And, and he's, he's bringing you, as it were, as a re- spiritual resurrection. He's bringing you from death unto life. But whether you want to believe in God or not, receive him. To receive the birth of the Heavenly Father. Born again. Except the man is born again, he cannot see, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus said in John 3 and 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must, you must be born again. Trust we're born again tonight. Team, would you come up, please?